You are Locked On Rays, your daily Tampa Bay Rays podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of the Locked On Rays podcast and Ulysses. Today and Friday, we have a very special guest with us. It's been a minute since he made an appearance on the Lockdown Rays podcast. He's very, very busy nowadays. Arm Layton from JustBaseball.com. Arm, what is up? Hey, it's uh, great to be back on. Really excited to talk to you guys. Always enjoy talking Rays players and prospects with you all. So thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's, it's, and It's awesome having yeah. you here, man. Yeah, uh, I, I kind of want to get to the to the crux of it all, okay? You're a Perfect. baseball prospect. You like the Rays because, of course, you have some Florida ties that people know about. But I want to start with a with a big fastball down the middle, okay? I'm going to give you four names, and you're going to tell me which of these four guys, ranking from one to four, on how much war they're going to accumulate by the end of their careers. One being the most war. Four being the least war. The names are Taylor Walls, Vidal Brujan, Josh Lowe, and Jonathan Aranda. And I want to start with this because these were four names that we saw on the show that kind of were underwhelming for race fans. So in your opinion, can you rank these guys from one through four? Wow, that is an awesome question. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna break this down by by I guess why I like each guy to start with. So Josh Lowe, yes. I am still the biggest Josh Lowe believer. I, I I really feel like it was a weird season for him all around, going up and down, and you know the Rays having some other uh, options in the outfield. But if you look at what he did in the second half of the season, uh, in terms of when he was even up at the big leagues down the stretch for the few games he was up there and then back in AAA, absolutely raked, struck out. But I think that's something that he's going to be able to balance as a center fielder or a plus defensive corner guy with his speed and everything. I think he accumulates the most war. So I'm going to put low number one. Number two is tough because a guy like Jonathan Aranda is never going to be in the best graces with war because it's all about the bat. But I really like the bat. So I'm going to put a Ronda two. Taylor Walls versus Bruhan is really tough because Walls, while he didn't defend to the level that he usually does, and I think we can be accustomed to last year, it's going to be all about the glove for him. Bruhan has a little bit more to dream on offensively and I think can give you uh, some defense if you put him in the right spots too. So I'm going to go Bruhan three and Walls four. But I think it's going to be a large gap between Josh Lowe, Aranda, and then the other two. So, because I think Aranda and Lowe are going to be good big leaguers, and I think they're going to be good big leaguer, big leaguers this coming season. Interesting. I like that. Follow up. Follow up to that. Josh Lowe, what do you project his career war to be when it's all said and done <laughs> 15, 20 years from now? <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Uh, this is good stuff. I love this. Oh, God. It, it's tough because, you know, a guy like Lowe is such a such a difficult profile, right? Like there's no in between it's if, if he, if he is what I think he can be and what I think he will be, he could accumulate, you know, 20 something war in his career. Right. But there's a chance that he can always struggle to, to, to hit enough and is more of a platoon guy and is closer to eight war. So I, I do think though, ultimately he's going to be a, a 
16 to 20 war guy in his career. I think he's going to give some several really good seasons. I think he's going to give you a lot of, you know, two, three win seasons. And I think he's going to hang around for a while. I just think his skill set, his power, uh, the the speed, the the ability to to make an impact on the bases is enough to to accumulate in that territory. I'm going to say final answer 18 to 18 to 20. Gosh, Kevin, I mean, if if this were to, to actually happen, that lefty bat with some pop that the Rays were unable to to search for this whole hot stove, this would be the guy, you know, to, to give you that pop from the left side. Yeah, that was kind of my follow-up question is, you know, that there's been so much talk this offseason with the Rays of they swung and missed on, on getting that free agent or trade acquisition. Is it because is Josh Lowe ready to pop off? Is Jonathan Aranda ready to take that next step? Like, do you have kind of a projection in mind for what Josh Lowe could do in 2023? Is is he ready to be that everyday player? Or do you still think he needs some seasoning at, at the AAA level? Like, because that legitimately, the Rays are going out and they're extending uh, Jeffrey Springs, Pete Fairbanks, and Yandy Diaz. And they signed Zach Eflin and they've made all these moves most of the moves on the pitching side of things, but they haven't really uh, done anything to address the, the offensive side thus far. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. The Rays are always, as you guys know, extremely difficult to, to peg in terms of how they're going to approach something. But, you know, when I look at the outfield and especially the acquisition of Jose Siri specifically, right? Siri is a guy that's a bit offensively limited, but, but has the ability to be one of the best defenders in the sport and center field. Uh, that said, you know, if, if this offense is is not doing what, you know, you want it to do and not producing the way it can, you got Margot and Siri in the outfield, potentially two elite outfielders. But, you know, I think there's a, a scenario here where Lowe is eating into both of their at-bats. Maybe you shelter him from lefties and you can have some sort of revolving door uh, of outfielders here because I think Lowe's going to give you more offensively, definitely, than Siri. And potentially then Margot, you know, Margot's pretty safe to give you league average offense. But I, again, I think Lowe is going to be able to do more than that. I envision some sort of role where, you know, he is sharing, you know, it's two spots for three guys and and they kind of figure out exactly how they want to split that up because outside of a Rosarena, you know, I don't, I don't know how many other outfielders you know, they really have to lean on there. And and again, series limitations offensively and might be better served as a fourth outfielder that, that ends up playing more than the average fourth outfielder. So I, I would like to see Lowe playing, you know, four or five days a week at the big league level. I think he's proven what he needs to prove at the AAA level. And at this point, it's just getting acclimated to big league pitching. And I thought he was doing that at the end of the year. You look at the way he finished the season with with consecutive yeah. games with a hit, several games with multi-hits uh, at that end of, of the big league stint and then finished strong in AAA. Um, I, I think this guy's going to really get comfortable if they give him enough time to, to get comfortable at the big league level next year. And again, you can shelter him from lefties a little bit. I I know it's unfair, but there has to be a line where you kind of have to cut the cord. Um, so if you had the power, um, Aram, like where do you draw that? Where do you determine that line of plate appearances that would be considered enough to make a determination on whether this prospect, hey, he's got it or he doesn't have it more more so he doesn't seem to have it. What? What would be that number of plate appearances for you? I know everything's in context and all that, but what would be that rough estimate for plate appearances? 
Yeah, you know, I think it's a holistic uh, approach generally, like because it, it really depends on how he he looks, right, and and how overmatched he may look, or you know, if if it's one of those things where he he's giving you another 150 plate appearances and he's hovering right around average or slightly below, but he's showing flashes, you might want to give him a little bit more leeway. But sure, uh, you know, generally speaking, this is a team that is always in it, right, and you. You want to make sure that you're putting your best foot forward and you don't want to, you know, have a player out there who's hurting you for, for too long. I think it's something along, you know, 30, 40 games, you should have a pretty good idea of where he stands. And uh, the thing with Lowe, though, is is I feel like even if he's not hitting enough to be that everyday outfielder for you, the fact that he can play all three spots, the fact that he has the power and speed combination, like if that's a guy that you are, you know, starting in spots and and also, you know, are, again, are kind of using as as even a two to three a day a week guy. I would almost rather see him at the big league level at that point than just continuing to mash in AAA. Like at this point, we've seen what he can do in AAA. He had a 142 WRC plus in 2021. Yes, he struck out more in 2022 in AAA, but he had a 151 WRC plus at that level there. He stole yeah. 51 bags between the last two seasons and, and hit 36 home runs in less than 200 games. So, I mean, at this point, we know what he can do in triple. I think he's going to continue to, you know, take advantage of those pitchers there. I'd rather see him two to three days a week, even if his playing time is, is, is cut down a little bit, you know, just being a left-handed bat for them. Uh, as an outfielder and a guy off the bench at the very least, if he's not hitting to the level that, you know, we think he can hit. But I even think with the quote unquote struggles, I mean, this is a guy that still produced a positive, you know, F war in those 52 games. And and I know he's going to be better than that. So uh, I'm, I'm very excited to see what he does. Of course, there's going to be some swing and miss, but I don't think any more swing and missing you're going to get from Jose Siri uh, and definitely a lot more uh, offensive upside there. Uh, we will continue this discussion with Arm Layton, the creator of JustBaseball.com. But first, we have to tell you about FanDuel. This year, the only app you need at your Super Bowl party is FanDuel. It's America's number one sports book. So download FanDuel now so you can bet Super Bowl 57 with a no-sweat first bet. You'll get up to $3,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. FanDuel lets you bet on everything from the money line to point spreads to who will score a touchdown. Uh, as you know, the FanDuel Sportsbook app is safe, secure, and super easy to use. Best of all, you can get paid for your winnings instantly. So join FanDuel today at FanDuel.com slash locked on to claim your no sweat first bet on Super Bowl 57. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. You can make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. Um, Ulysses, I like how you mentioned and brought up off the jump Josh Lowe, Jonathan Aranda, Vidal Brujan, and Taylor Walls. And it got me thinking about the Rays 40-man uh, situation right now. And we eventually will talk about Curtis Mead, I'm sure. But I want to get uh, Arm's take on a couple other 40-man ads. One. Greg Jones, where do you see Greg Jones in his development and his profile? Just are you bullish, bearish on him going forward? What's your take on him? Yeah, he's a really tough one because Greg Jones is somebody that if it clicks for him, look out, right? But there's also that, is it ever going to happen question, right? I mean, this is, this is mm -hmm. one of the better athletes you're going to find in the minor leagues. 
switch hitting shortstop who, you know, can, has power uh, and, and dynamic, dynamic, dynamic speed. Uh, I, I do find myself a little bit more cautious and, and cautiously optimistic with Jones uh, compared to where I was before. But, but the thing with him is you look at the, the stats overall, you know, they, they weren't great last year, but you see a lot of prospect evaluators across the industry and, and they're still, you know, somewhat bullish on him. He's not a guy that is, you know, maybe fallen out of the ranks or, or, and again, you see the, the race add him to the 40 man. This is a guy that I think is just too athletic and, and too skilled to, you know, be looked over and, and to be given up on at this point, he's, he's not 25 yet. Uh, but you know, I, I do feel like there is that limitation now of he's probably not going to hit enough to be, you know, that offensive force that you know, we hoped he could be. That said, he still is is talented enough, I think, to be an above average offensive force if he can put it together. So you know, Jones is somebody that I think the 40 man addition is telling. And I, and I think it tells you just how excited they are about his upside. He has always been a little bit more raw. So I, I think this is a big year for him. But he had stretches during the season where he looked like one of the the best hitters and best all-around offensive prospects in their system. And then he had stretches where he couldn't buy a hit. So it's about finding that consistency. And if he can, uh, I mean, this guy could be a force. So I'm very excited to see how he does in AAA. You know, I think the tighter strike zone may benefit him because he has been a little bit more aggressive in the past. I know being a more patient hitter is something he's focused on. And, you know, just cutting down on the ground ball rate is something that he's focused on too. So I think the Rays are working with him there and, uh, I'm interested to see how he bounces back after, you know, an up and down season last year, but I'm still a little bit bullish on him just because of how talented he is. Is it fair to compare the path of Greg Jones to that of Vidal Bruhan? I think so. You know, I think Bruhan was more advanced with the hit tool. So that was able to, you know, kind of propel him a bit more. Uh, but I think Jones has a lot more upside, especially just with, with how much power he can hit for and uh, th- just the impact with the stick. But I think it, it's pretty fair and pretty comparable. And uh, th- there's that fear with Bruhan too, though, even of just like, is he really going to hit enough to, to be able to you know make the impact that you're hoping somebody with his skill set can? So I think they are pretty similar in that regard. Uh, I bring this because Bruhan has been kind of underwhelming uh, his production, to, to put it politely, on in, in the major league level. But again, just like we talked about earlier with the plate appearances, he has about 200. In my opinion, I don't think that's enough to judge a player yet, especially a young player that, that needs to provide a lot of offense when the half of the team is on the IL. And, and hey, here you go, kid. Do something with it. Um, yeah. I still feel like you need to give some time for Vidal to, to show up. However, that time does seem to be expiring when there are so many other young prospects that are seemingly going to be able to provide the same thing or even better than Vidal Bruhan. So is maybe this is this the year that you think uh, make it or break it for for Vidal? At least in Tampa, um, you know, because I think all of the things you just said, right? I mean, maybe there's another team that you know is rebuilding or another team that it could be more patient with Vidal Bruhan, but we got to be honest, right? His 52 game stretch was a lot worse than Josh Lowe's, right? This is a guy that you put up a a 43 WRC plus. So, I mean, that's, that's really bad uh, with the sample size we had here. And and he wasn't really offering that much value with the glove, which is interesting because he is, 
you know, that super utility type that can play all over. But you know, the defense, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't great uh, at second base. It was kind of just fine. And if you're not going to hit, um, you're not really bringing much else to the table and you can't steal first base. So I think Bruhan's extremely talented. A lot of the batted ball data points towards him still having, you know, a lot of a, a good chance to make an impact and, you know, 85% zone contact. That's something to look at for a guy that, you know, struggled as much as he did last year, uh, even swinging and missing more than he ever did. And it, it's a little bit surprising to see the contact rates being, you know, pretty decent, but it's again, I think a little bit of an example of his uh, approach and, and some swing adjustments that he might need to make. Uh, I think Bruhan still is a great trade chip for, for, for the Rays. And I know it's, it's a fraction of, of what he was once worth in terms of being a trade chip. But I think there's a lot of teams that you know, could use somebody like Bruhan to, to inject some life into their you know rebuilding infield and, and just let him run out there in a more low pressure environment and, and get ABs. But, you know, when you have some of the guys knocking on the door uh, that we're going to talk about and, you know, maybe they're not as athletic or not as, you know, dynamic speed wise or versatility wise. There's a certain point where, you know, the Rays, look, they've, they've never been among or haven't been in recent years among the best offensive teams where you know, I think the Rays are going to see some offensive prospects coming up and say, hey, we might need to give up a little bit of that speed and, and you know, positional versatility for guys that we know can hit like a Curtis Mead. If we're, you know, micromanaging the roster spots, which the Rays perpetually have a 40 man and active roster crunch because of how deep they always are. Uh, the other guy that I wanted to get your take on, um, and maybe a little bit of a surprise or not many people knew about him, uh, before he was added to the 40 man, Oslevis Basabe, who I know, uh, Ulysses gives the, uh, Venezuelan bump to, but just what's your <laughs> take on his profile and, and what he may bring to the table? Could that be a situation where the Rays trade Vidal Brujan and some of these other percolating players to eventually provide a spot for this kid? Yeah, so Basave is somebody that I think is going to be a breath of fresh air for for Rays fans. And I say that because, you know, I know there's a frustration among the fan base in regards to the lack of translation with a lot of these high-level prospects to production at the big league level. And it's because a lot of them have a similar profile, right? Greg Jones, Josh Lowe, even Bruhan, even though his, his hit tool is a little bit ahead. It's a lot of guys that are toolsy. Uh, and the hit tool is like the one if in, in the equation here. That's always a big if. With with somebody like Basabe, he can play all over. I don't know if he's an everyday shortstop, but he can hold it down when you need him to. But he's not going to offer much power. And, and that's the thing with him. He, he's not really going to hit for more than a, a handful of home runs at most. But I think this is what the Rays kind of need, right? Is Is a guy that... You can put all over the, the infield and you know he's just going to put bat on ball and just be a consistent hitter. And that's exactly what Basabe is. And doing the dive on our, our research for the, the race top 10 prospect list that we're going to be putting out very soon or might be out by the time people are listening to this. Basabe was somebody that really, really impressed me because he's going to walk as much as he strikes out. He is a extremely difficult at bat. He's a good runner. And, and he can, he's got enough power to go gap to gap and, and, and mix in the doubles and triples. So I think this is somebody that can come up and make an impact a little bit quicker than some of the others and can still provide that versatility and speed. You're giving up a little, a lot of power compared to some of the, the other guys potential, 
but you can feel more confident that he's going to put bat on ball and, and be a really solid offensive prospect, I think, from the get-go, or an offensive youngster uh, the second he gets a chance. And I think once he gets to triple, it's going to be more the same from him, which is high batting average, good on base, no strikeouts, and versatility, which is something the Rays could really use because you know I think Taylor Wallace just couldn't quite – offer that last year with his offensive limitations and you know Basabe might not be quite the defender but he is still a pretty darn good one Basabe sounds uh Kevin like a speedier version of Yandy Diaz just a guy that's a little bit more athletic will provide some I mean the lack of strikeouts and the high on on base percentage that's that that's Yandy Diaz right there but the fact that you're adding that component of the speed would really just give you more uh, dynamic lineup. Uh, Aram, Ulysses, we haven't even talked about, we've made it 21 minutes almost, and we haven't even really mentioned Kyle Manzardo or Mason Hour, who we had on the show a week ago. We haven't really dovetailed into Taj Bradley and Curtis Mead. We will do that on Friday's episode, but I'm going to bob and weave a little bit. Um, I know, Aram, you cover all things baseball. It's not just prospects. It's everything, just baseball.com. Come on. You know, it says it in the name there. Um, and you all had uh, an interesting episode and arc about Scott Rowland. And I know I'm kind of dovetailing a little bit, but I just want to get your take on Scott Rowland's Hall of Fame induction. And I'm a little bit uh, biased here because he's from Southern Indiana, J- uh, Jasper, Indiana, native uh I'll, I'll throw that out there he actually is a, an assistant coach at indiana university right now but uh just your take on scott Rowland being inducted into the hof i i'm so happy uh, that scott Rowland got in you know this, this is a guy that i grew up of course you know idolizing as as a third baseman who who always wanted to to be the the defensive third baseman when i was playing in little league and high school and everything and and and, and Rowland was you know that that first defensive third baseman that I really latched onto. Uh, but the thing is, is he was no slouch with the stick either. Of course, his offensive stats weren't enough to, to, to just carry him into the Hall of Fame. And sure, third base is, is a offensive, it's an offensive position. But when you combine what Roland did defensively and offensively, he's in a, a group of very few, right? And, and what I always kind of break it down to, and to me, this is what really put Roland in in my eyes is, he, he's one of 95 players in Major League history, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not that many. One of 95 players with 2,000 hits 300, and 300 home runs in, in Major League history, right? That might not be enough to get you in alone, but that still is pretty impressive. Of those 95 players who have hit 2,000 base hits and 300 runs, only six have accumulated a defensive war of 20 or above in their career. That group, Cal Ripken, Adrian Beltre, Gary Carter, Pud Rodriguez, Craig Nettles, and now, of course, Scott Rowland. So we're talking about Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame, not a Hall of Famer, and then Scott Rowland, who's now a Hall of Famer. So yeah, I think it's you put him in that group, it's just about everybody there is a Hall of Famer besides Nettles, and I think that says a lot. And then what puts him over the top for me is a guy that played the game right, that everybody loves, uh, that went about his business the right way. It wasn't like he's a first ballot Hall of Famer. He had to sweat it out. Uh, but this is a guy I think that deserves it, and uh, I'm I'm really excited for him to to be in Cooperstown, and I'm glad baseball added him in there. It's it's two guys that I think really should have been in McGriff a long time before, um, so I'm glad to see the crime dog in there as well with the veterans committee. So two guys in this year, it's good for baseball, and I am looking forward to uh, you know all the PED controversy finally making its way off the ballot. But this was kind of a breath of fresh air. 
uh, I want to jump in on this, and I actually haven't talked to you, Kevin, about uh, about this. The next year, in 2024, there's a name that's coming up that I thought was a slam dunk in baseball uh, fans everywhere. Like, everybody just recognizes a name, and they're like, yeah, obviously a Hall of Famer. But I've seen a lot of, you know, comments on anti-social media, as Kevin likes to say, against this guy. And I want to gauge both of you. I, I thought for sure it was so super easy to say that Joe Maurer is a Hall of Famer. Are you guys on, on that path or am I crazy? I'll let Arm take this one first and I'll just agree with whatever <laughs> Arm says, quite frankly. Um, yeah, so I, I I didn't realize that this would be a conversation until I, I said something about Maurer when he was retiring. Uh, about you know how we'll see him in Cooperstown, and and I got some pushback on that, which was was surprising. Um, you know, Mauer didn't play long enough to accumulate some of the major stats that that we want to see, right? And and I think it's it really is a threshold uh, thing with with the Hall of Fame for for whatever reason. But but Joe Mauer at, at his peak, I think dominated the game as well as anybody has, and as well as any catcher has, and in, in a long long time. And for me, a big, 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 big number is the 306 career batting average. I know people say batting average isn't that important. I'm sorry. If you hit 306 over your career, he won the MVP. He had a season where he hit 365. I don't know if he's a first ballot guy, um, but I I would vote eventually for Joe Mauer. And I don't maybe I would in the first ballot, depending on who else is is on there. But for me, Mauer was so good and and dominant in his prime, but good for so long. Uh, has the hardware, has the gold gloves. I know some people say, oh, well, he didn't play, you know, he didn't catch the entire time. And, uh, you know, because if you look at the numbers on an offensive scale compared to every other catcher ever, he's right among the best. He ended up playing a little bit more first, I think, and that is for whatever reason, uh, a reason to dock him. But ultimately, I think the way that this guy dominated offensively, especially in his peaks, I I think he's done more than enough to get in. But uh, we'll see. Uh, how voters feel but when he got a, an mvp six time all-star three-time gold glove three batting titles and five silver sluggers uh and all while doing it with the same team which i think is something that should matter too uh, i think yeah. mauer should get in yeah i agree same team means a lot to me and also putting up those numbers while he was handling the tools of ignorance that just speaks to his talent and ability uh for sure so i was always a big Joe Maurer fan. Um, heck, I mean, let's, since we're on the the subject of hall of fame, one more, one more before we, uh, log off with arm and continue, uh, with him for Friday's episode, Evan Longoria, is he a hall of famer, a future hall of famer when it's all said and done? I think he finishes just short, but I, I love Longo, man. I think he had a phenomenal, it's still done not done, right? He was even put up some pretty good numbers last year before getting hurt. I think he's had a really awesome career, but you know, he's below the 2000 hit threshold, 265 hitter. You know, that's that's a hollow, very good guy. Uh, best MVP finish, I think, was sixth. But I mean, mm-hmm. this is a player that, man, I mean, again, another guy that when I was playing, you know, he, when he came up in 08, you know, when I was playing at that point in Little League and, and, and playing through there, like that was one of the guys I just loved to emulate. Um, and, yeah. and so many seasons of 20 to 30 home runs that, you know, it was just like you could pencil him in for that every year. Hollow, very good, uh, but I think he'll be he'll be a little shy there. But I, I'm looking forward to him. Hopefully, this year, if he can stay healthy, potentially reaching that that 2,000 hit plateau, which would be pretty cool. 
Very cool. All right, we will uh, have more with Aram on Friday's show. First, Aram, uh, do you want to give a plug for what you have with JustBaseball.com and uh, new venture, JustBasketball.com? Yeah, so uh, we have the top 10 raised prospects out uh, by the time people are listening to this over at JustBaseball.com and uh, contains full write-ups beyond the top 10. We rank the 10 and then I write up everybody else you need to know about. Uh, that that'll be up on the website by the time you listen to this. A lot of off-season coverage, World Baseball Classic coverage on the Just Baseball Show, and the call-up is my prospect podcast. So really excited about that. Um, really, really pumped to, to get going into the baseball season, and we'll have you pretty much covered for for everything you need on the uh, you know, preseason projections and discussion and, and outlooks to get you primed for the season. And then we did just launch our first basketball podcast, the Just Basketball Show, uh, which is hosted by... Uh, Chris Manning and Brendan Clean, they they are two Locked On hosts who do an awesome job on the Cavaliers and, and Locked On Suns podcast. Really excited to have them on the network, too, and be venturing out to there. And then we also did just add a player podcast, uh, Show and Go with Taylor Davis. Uh, one of their first guests was Dylan Cease. Uh, Taylor Davis, a uh, longtime minor leaguer, has had a lot of time in, in the big leagues as well as a catcher and uh, has just been loaded up on the guest list and, and getting a lot of fun interviews. So really excited about everything we've got going on and, and, and appreciate you guys uh, checking that out and, and allowing me to plug it. Yeah. And I'll say this, uh, just baseball. A lot of the podcasts have, I mean, it's like exclusively five-star reviews. So that's, <laughs> yeah. you know, very, uh, very telling. I'll just put it like that. Uh, thank thank you. you for making. Yeah. Thank you for making the lockdown race podcast. Your very first listen every day. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Stay safe. And we will talk to you on Friday more with arm Layton.